tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. and thanks for downloading this 30-second episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. For those of you tuning in for the first time, you're in for a shock and a treat. The shock is, this is going to be one of our last shows, but in the tried-and-true ideal that every show could be someone's first, let me tell you a little bit about the premise of the show. In 1997, DC Comics released a series of books entitled Tangent Comics. The idea was to take the names of existing DC Comics characters and give them completely original continuity and stories. And over the past 31 episodes, we've been chronicling those tales. And when I say me, I mean myself, Sean Ingle, and my good friend and co-host, Michael Bradley. How's it going, Michael? Hey, everybody. However, I I will also mention that this episode would be a treat for you, and that treat is our special guest. Having worked as an artist and writer for both the major comic book companies, our guest has had a hand in working on some of the greatest and most iconic iconic comic characters in history, including a 10-year run on Superman, as well as the Justice League, the Teen Titans, Spider-Man, Thor, Captain America, and practically every DC hero in the 1990s in his epic zero-hour event. He also had a hand in many original concepts for DC Comics, like the creation of the time-traveling hero Booster Gold, And, most relevant to this show, he was the genius and driving force behind the Tangent Universe. Ladies and gentlemen, we're proud to have on the show the one and only Mr. Dan Jerkins. How are you doing, Dan? Very good. Happy to be here. Well, thanks for coming on. It's, it's, this is something that we've been looking forward to getting uh, an interview with you to talk about the Tangent comics. Uh, We're really excited to talk about this. Obviously, we hope we don't come off as sort of Chris Farley fanboys and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just just ask you, you know, hey, do you remember when you wrote that comic? Uh, that was cool. But uh, we've got some questions we'd like to ask you. Do you want to go ahead and start off, Michael? Yeah, I was sitting here thinking when you were doing your intro, it might have been faster to just list the stuff that Dan hasn't worked on in his That's, career. That is true. You've worked on so much stuff. Uh, but like Sean said, we're here to talk about Tangent, and we thought we'd start kind of at the very beginning um, the, the 1997 Tangent books were among the first, if not the first, of DC's fifth week events. Did you approach DC Cold with a Tangent idea, or did DC come to you to, to pitch a fifth week idea? How did that happen? Um, no. What, what, the way it actually worked is um, I first went to DC with this idea of doing a different line of books that was using the prior names of DC characters and just reimagining them. And um, what I had kind of used as just the basic foundational idea was 
I think I went to them and basically said, imagine if Julie Schwartz was still here and he was going to take the names just like he did, you know, back when he recreated Flash for Showcase 4. And we started to take these names and just run with them and and imagine what they could be. And as an example, I said for, you know, let's consider Batman for just a minute. If Man Bat had never been created, that might be what Batman is. So I started just sitting down and having those sorts of, well, let's say informal discussions with them. DC got very interested in it and we said, okay, let's do this. And once we decided that we were going to do it, the question was, how could we best present it? And that's when we started to talk about doing it as one of the fifth week stunts. Cool. Um, about how how did the entire concept? You were the person who was the main driving force behind the concept. Um, in the original wave of the nine books, uh, what was the intention from the beginning? Did you have an intention to do a second wave, or did you just? Did the popularity of the first wave necessitate the idea of a second wave coming out? No, I think that when, obviously when we did the first one, and and just to step back a little bit from the way it worked, it was very much the idea of me saying, you know, I'll, I'll create the universe, I'll figure out which books we could do, and I will write a basic um, paragraph, if you will, on each of the titles. So... I could say the atom will be this, um, uh, the sea devils will be that, and that kind of thing. And Nightwing will not be a character, it will be a team, you know, and could go down the list that way. And then we decided that once I had that, we would start to pick out the various writers that we would approach about writing these things. But even as we did that, I think we knew we were building something that we hoped we would see again somehow. And the basic idea was if this sells well, if the response is good, of course we're going to do more. We didn't necessarily know exactly how that was going to do- get done, but we knew we would do more. Two of the books from the first wave, kind of following along that same line, um, The Atom, which you wrote, and The Metal Man by Ron Mars, did a lot of the uh, heavy lifting as far as world building and, and presenting a world that, you know, quite different from the real world, but still. I think, more grounded than the mainstream DC or Marvel universes. Can you talk a little bit about the creative process behind creating such a detailed world from scratch? Yeah, I think one of the things that we felt was very necessary was to say, if we wanted to just take the characters' names, so let's use Flash as an example, and we wanted to do a new Flash book, was that in and of itself enough to justify the exercise? And one of the things I had always talked about was the idea that once we decide to do this, we could create virtually any world we wanted to in terms of Earth. We didn't want to push it so far from what we saw outside our own window that we wouldn't recognize it anymore. But we could certainly take something like the Cuban Missile Crisis and kind of use that as our break point, which is we we know how that turned out on our world let's build a planet Earth where it was very different than that and where the conclusion was different than that, which sent us off on a different trajectory. But in order to do that and and really explain it, yeah, we needed a couple of books to really get into those nuts and bolts. And Ron is not only a good friend of mine, but very good at that kind of thing. And I said, let's, you and I do this just to make sure that the readers really understand how the world works why it's different, and that why does that make our characters different? 
was Ron Mars kind of uh, there at the beginning helping develop this, or was he brought on a little, a little later? He came on later when the rest of the writers did. Okay. Um, originally, I put together the the original ideas, the original pitch. As part of that, I probably, I want to say, first approached DC with the idea of here are 14 or 15 books that might fit into this first wave. Um, we always knew we would not do Superman, Batman, or Wonder Woman because they were almost too iconic, if you will. We wanted to start with different names. Out of that 14 or 15 books, we ended up selecting nine that we all kind of liked best. And then, as I said, I wrote a little springboard for each of those books in terms of what they were. Basically, a paragraph and said, you know, this is what this book is. This is the atmosphere of the book. Um, You know, for example, with Green Lantern, I would have said, in a way, it's about this magic lantern and someone who can wander a graveyard raising people from the dead. And said it would have a very mysterious feel to it, et cetera, et cetera. Then we handed it off to that creative team to flesh out. And about the time that we started doing that, that's when Ron came in as well. Now, uh, speaking of this, you said that you had the outline for most of the characters. Uh, When you had these outlined for characters, did you have an idea of different artists and different writers that you wanted to come on to write these characters and how much input did the the writers uh that came into the story have on developing the characters for the tangent line well i i always i would like to think that they had a lot of room because part of the way i like to work is on something like that if if you get that phone call from an editor or whatever what you want is not the feeling that you're becoming a technical writer just writing someone else's story to kind of you know, give the reader their version of the beginning, middle, and end. What you want to do is someone, I think, to call you up and say, here's kind of what we have in mind. Here's what the possibilities are. But you create the story that works within that framework. And that's what we did on Tangent. So if it was, you know, to use Sea Devils as an example again, it was uh, this idea that, you can invent whatever you want the sea devils to be within that entire concept. If you want to take the secret six, here are some of the characters that might fit into it. And if you want to play around with that a little bit and make an adjustment, you can do that. And here's how. And I, I would like to think that basically what we gave the writers was a menu of sorts. But then they got to pick out pretty much what they wanted to eat for the next couple of nights as they were working on this and put it all together so it worked for them. And one of the things that I was impressed with is the fact that these stories do have such disparate feels. You, you mentioned the Sea Devils. The Sea Devils was one of the books that felt sort of outside the place of the first run of the most, most of the books. The fact that the, the writers and artists were able to do their own individual stories, but yet the event as a whole had this cohesiveness was, was rather impressive to me. And it was very intentional. I really think you get the best work from people when you give them freedom to do something like that. But I also think in addition that once again, if you go back to when DC kind of relaunched the silver age, and I know this is a bit of a stretch, but at the same time, it's valid. If you looked at, if you would have at that time read flash green lantern, Hawkman, um, justice league, when it showed up in brave and bold, all this stuff, those stories did have different feels to them, mm-hmm. and and they weren't all exactly the same. And 
I think that was something we were very conscious of doing here. And I'll cite Green Lantern again, which is a book that really was supposed to have a very different kind of feel and a very mysterious feel from what we were doing in some of the other titles. And I, I liked Green Lantern because it was sort of a callback to those anthology series, somewhat uh, like the House of Mystery, where you'd have these little short sort of horror stories. And I, I really enjoyed that, in a way, the Tangent books kind of brought that concept back with Green Lantern. Right. Yeah, I did too. And I, I thought um, that that was just wonderful. It wasn't my idea for it to be an anthology book, but that's the way it turned out. And I think that really um, contributed a great deal to the line. Because when, you know, if, if we're all doing, if we did nine straight superhero books, for example, then it feels like there's a certain sameness to it. I think it feels more like its own comic company line, its own you know, publisher's line, if you have variety. And that's absolutely the feel we were going for there. Just to go back to something you you made mention of earlier, that you intentionally opted to not use uh, the Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman names because they were so iconic. Is that something you got any uh, pushback on from the editorial at the time? Because those being the marquee names of the company? No, not at all. They were totally on board with it. They, cool. they, I gotta say, DC was great about what it is we were trying to do. They bought into the concept in a big, big way. They gave us a tremendous amount of support. Um, they let us have our own, you know, pretty much form of branding on the titles, our own cover identity, everything. And they were incredibly supportive of it and, and had no expectation that at that time, that Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman had to be a part of it. They were really in on the idea of let's make this different. Let's take a lesser character like Adam and make it that world Superman so we get a bit of a different mix. We had talked, you, you mentioned the, the cover branding. We had talked with Ryan Hughes via email, and Ryan's the one who designed the logos and trade dress for the series. Whose idea was it to bring him on board to give the books that distinctive uh, design treatment? Oh, it wasn't mine. I kept talking about wanting a very different feel to the covers. Um, I would guess that at that point it was probably Mark Chiarello, but I couldn't say 100% for sure. Now, looking back, what were some of your favorite concepts from the series? Uh, Was there anything that really stood out to you that that you would uh, promote as one of the flying points of the series? And were there any ideas that uh, didn't get fleshed out in that first – you said there were like 14 different ideas that didn't get fleshed out that you would have liked to have seen done? Um, We – you know, I I always had a couple of ideas for Firestorm that never quite Mm. worked out. Um, But in terms of the favorites, I think – uh, I think Secret Six was a lot of fun. I, I like the mix of the book that was there. I think Joker was tremendous because mm-hmm. it was very much along the line of of what we had written and sort of envisioned for a different book with the name Joker. I, I mean, you're kind of asking me to pick from among my favorite kids here, which is hard to do. <laughs> yeah, uh, no well, Sophie's Choice here. Yeah, you know, I look at it more this way, which is – to me, it was an overall singular effort. And when I think back to when I just first started working on it and just, you know, before I even went to D.C., I started writing down all these notes. What could this be? What could that be? How could this work? Um, and whenever you do that in that embryonic stage to eventually get to the point where all those books come out, you, you almost can't imagine getting there as that destination. So... Once you finally get there, 
the joy is in the end product itself and everything that went into it. And I think it really shows. I mean, you know, it, it sounds like editorial was really on board and all the creators involved were really on board. And I think it really shows in the quality of the, the stories and just the how fun they are to read. Great. Thank you. Uh, right now, we are looking at the Superman's Reign series, which came out in 2008. Can you talk about how that series came about? Yeah. Um, in that case, uh, Dan DiDio gave me a call one day and he said – he just kind of said, tell me about Tangent. And I said, well, what do you want to know? And and because when we did the first wave of books, you know, when we originally launched all this stuff, Dan had not been at DC at that time. And so I, I kind of explained some of the backstory, what the goal of everything was, how we thought it could work. And uh, along with the ideal or the idea that my initial hope had been that it would somehow – last longer. I mean, if um, to once again, step back just a bit, what I had always kind of hoped would emerge out of this was like a bi-monthly or monthly tangent book that would be, you know, triple size, like, you know, somewhere between 40 and 60 pages of story per issue that would have like three or four stories per issue that would cover these characters. And you could rotate through where you know, issues one through three might have Flash, Green Lantern, and Metal Men. Uh, Flash and Green Lantern might run five issues, Metal Men three. So in issue four, Metal Men would go out. Um, you know, someone else would come in, that kind of thing. And we never got there. And, and Dan and I went all through with this, and he said, well, obviously, a lot of effort went into creating this. It seems like it should have been more come up with something so we can make the two universes interact. And that's where that started. You know, just as an aside, I would have so paid for a, for like a bi-monthly series that would have mm-hmm. featured the tangent characters. Uh, you know, that that's one of those things that would have just been amazing if that would have actually occurred. But wow, <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be? And, and really, that's what I always wanted to see. And I go back to um, when I was a kid. You know, they'd have the one hundred page spectaculars or whatever they were called, and. And just this idea, you could get a whole fistful of comics that would have a lot of different stories in it. And back then, a lot of it would be backup. But I'd, I always had this idea of, you know, like something with three 15-page stories in it, every issue, whether it's monthly or bi-monthly, a fatter comic. But just – and it would just be called Tangent, Tangent Comics, and that's what it would be. And that's what I had always hoped for coming out of this. Oh, and that's uh, another thing that we've mentioned in the prior shows is how much we would have loved to seen these characters progress. The single yes. stories stood alone very well on their own, but there are always little concepts and little seeds that were laid in the stories that could have been fleshed out in later issues. And that was one of the things that was so that, – that dejected us so about the issues that we knew they were only going to be single issues. And they, we knew that there was so much more story to be told of these characters that something like that would have been just incredibly amazing. Ah, well, thanks. I think it would have been too. So, you know, the world hasn't ended yet. So you never know, maybe one day. (laughs) That's, that's what we're hoping for. Uh, It seems as if the seeds for the return uh, for the tangent characters were being planted as far back as infinite crisis in 2006. Was that groundwork intentionally being laid for future series in hopes that you were going to be doing more down the road? I I think as much as anything, it was acknowledging that the project had been a reality 
and that when you acknowledge it, what that always does is it keeps the door open. And I think that's pretty much how I would look at that. What was it like revisiting the characters a decade later, and, and how did your approach differ creatively, given that, you know, first of all, it had been a decade since the original books, and, and this was a 12-issue story rather than just a, a one-shot comic? Right. You know, I think um, whenever you – and we always knew this day would come – that as soon as you started to have those characters, the tangent characters, interacting with the DCU characters, then you start to get immediate comparisons and, and that kind of thing. Um, in a way, I think it would have worked better because of the amount of time between you know the second wave and Reign of Superman uh, – I think it would have worked better if we had been able to do a standalone tangent project uh, project to kind of remind everybody of who the characters are and let everybody see them again and then have the DC, you know, meeting somehow. And the way I had always kind of um, contemplated something like that happening would have been almost like you've got a tangent project going on while DC keeps publishing its own books and, say, Justice League – and somehow, and readers would get surprised by this, they'd all get to like issue seven, right? And then all of a sudden they realized one group is standing in front of a monitor looking at one world, the other group is standing in front of the monitor looking at their world. And I think by doing it the way we did, we probably lost out on some of the suspense and buildup we could have had with it. Um, and that made it different right from the start, that we were right away just trying to remind everybody of, yeah, you know Superman, you know Batman, but by the way, we have a Superman over here, too, and he's okay. And I I think it became um, an, 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 an inequitable writing exercise because, you know, obviously you have one group of characters at that point super well-known and another group who we hadn't seen for almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. I think that that was kind of you kind of tackled that with having the backup uh, stories in the Superman's Reign book with Ron Mars. Uh, right. When he wrote those stories, which recapped the history, um, uh, the, the kind of uh, told the information of the Tangent Universe, were those put in there essentially to fill readers who are picking up this new book in as to who the characters were? And how did uh, Ron Mars come involved with that? Was he... Was he taught? Did you talk to him, or was he uh, saying, "Look, I could probably do this. I've got enough connection with the universe that I could come in and write these little backup stories"? No, that was that was very much us saying that we, you know, we were aware of the problem certainly. And as you, as I just talked about it a couple minutes ago, and as you were describing it too, you know, we are obviously aware that we had to do something to deal with that overall problem. And um, what I always said at that point is, look. You know, let's get one of the writers who was in on this from the start because I only had so much time. I couldn't handle it all. And it was let's get one of the guys who was in on this from the start who understands the characters and understands the universe. And we can get together and kind of start to flesh this out. And that's exactly when and how and why Ron came on board. You know, I I would have, I I agree with you again. I would have really enjoyed to see a sort of like the old classic Silver Age and Bronze Age. JLA JSA team map where the tangent characters and the uh, JLA universe or the DC universe would kind of work together and that that concept would have really worked out again you know unfortunately missed opportunities but that would have been that would have been just gold for me 
Well, once again, (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe in a future time. You never know. I mean, that is the thing about comics in a way, is that um, I, I, you know, just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen or come down some way somehow at some point. Well, and uh, that kind of leads into – do you want to go ahead and take the next question, Michael? Yeah. Throughout the the 12 issues of that series, there were – four different artists for the main story. We had Matthew Clark for the first issue and then Jamal Eigel uh, for the five issues, Wes Craig, and then uh, Carlos Magno wrapped up the series. How were those artists brought on board and was the the change in artists planned from the start or did other things come up that facilitated or that necessitated, you know, having uh, Ideally, um, it all would have been drawn by the same person and that was the original hope. It didn't work out that way. And and I don't want to go too much beyond that other than to say that for me, when I write, it's important that I develop a kind of a working relationship with an artist so I can have them the entire way. And, and some of it is even uh, if I get a trade paperback and it's got six issues in it and it's one character, you know, it's the Popsicle Man first trade, issues one through six, <laughs> and it's drawn by three guys. You know, if you that, wrote that, it, I would. If you wrote it, I would buy it. You would write, okay, I, that mark one down for Popsicle Man. <laughs> but you know, it kind of ruins the illusion. And I, you know, I always like it. Um, for example, when I was writing Justice League International here, and Aaron Lapresti drew drew all twelve of the issues, so we have two trades with one guy drawing it. I think that's important to do. And yeah, ideally, we would have had that on Justice. Uh, I'm sorry, on Tangent, but it didn't work out that way. Was there ever any talk of you drawing the series? There was a little bit of talk of me doing it, but I didn't have time. Ah. Um, there was no way that could have happened. It was every now and then logistics really mess up a project, and it's not through anyone's fault. None on tangent. We probably started later than we should have. Uh, everybody who was involved with it was very busy. We had an editorial change in the middle of the project. I mean. A lot of stuff happened uh, in the course of those 12 issues. I'm not a writer or, or an artist, so I have no uh, comprehension of like how long it actually takes to sit down and write a comic book and then to draw a comic book. And I know you're writing a lot of stuff, but it would have been nice to see you draw it. Yeah, and you know what? I say that about a lot of stuff. <laughs> I mean, right now, um, I've probably – I think the only thing, aside from a couple of covers that I've drawn – in about the last two years is the uh, Convergent Superman issue. And it's, you know, all of a sudden I'm finding myself writing so much stuff, I just haven't had time to draw. And, um, you know, that wasn't by design. It's just sort of like I'm here now and that's the way it is and I'm looking to work my way out of it to a certain extent. Well, we're actually glad to, to see that you're getting a lot of work at DC. You know, it's it's we've had issues before. I know a lot of people were kind of... Uh, concerned with Jerry Conway and his issue of uh, creator's rights and all this and him not getting work. So it's good to see that you're still being kept in work and you've got things to do for DC and things to at least keep you going and putting out great comics. So we're Well, yeah, and it's, it's um, I think more important to me is that it's fun stuff too, that these are all things, you know, that I want to do. And so I think that's always a very real part of it for anybody that, uh, you know, you don't want it to be necessarily <clears throat> kind of, gee, we need somebody call so-and-so. It's it's genuinely fun stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I've been I've been loving the Batmite thing just as a as an aside. Oh, thanks. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Not to derail us, but just real quick, because I, I thought of it just a minute ago. The cover you did within the last year or so of uh, the composite Superman with Superman. Oh yeah, I love that cover. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I am a huge fan of that co- of that character, and you know, seeing your art, and I was disappointed that the character wasn't actually used in the book the cover was on but i really like that cover well you know it was it was um from time to time dc is doing these thematic covers Mm -hmm. and they had called me up and said yeah we're doing this month superman batman covers and i thought right away well nothing says superman and batman (laughs) as a composite superman so i actually i sent in two different cover designs and I sent that one with every expectation that they would say no and they actually went for it so that was great Wonderful. Um, going back to recent comics, uh, the tangent characters were a really big part of Convergence. There were a lot of uh, tangent characters in there. Did the writers like Marv Wolfman or Fabian Nicieza or even Dan Abnett, who had had previous work with Tangent, come to you for any input on how to approach the characters? Because uh, yeah, Marv did. And you know what was really cool about that is Marv. Uh, Marv said something like, um, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here. He said, "I." He said, "I went back." And I reread the, the tangent stuff, and I was looking at it. He said, I can't believe how detailed that must have been for you to put together and how much work went into it. And I said, oh, yeah. So, yeah, we definitely had those conversations. And um, Marv had some basic questions just about various characters, the nuts and bolts of it all. You know, how does one interact with the other and what is their place in the universe, that kind of thing. Uh, it, you know, it was fun to see him again, so I'm glad he asked. Yeah, I, 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 for for the tangent comic or the tangent characters that came out in the Convergence Men's, I thought every writer got the characters down. Now I might as well ask this because it was kind of unresolved in the second uh, series of the Tangent Run. The Doom Patrol were kind of incorporated to the sort of ultra humanite Matrix type thing. Do we have any idea, or do you have any idea of what happened to the uh, Doom Patrol characters uh, that uh, were? Lost in uh, what the Nightwing Night Force story, right? Uh, I do, and I kind of hesitate to say just in case we end up doing something then different. I will, um, but in, in my head, yeah, I, I certainly have this idea of them being in a particular place and being, let's say, accessible again. <laughs> um, the on a, on a similar note, the second wave ended with a pretty big cliffhanger with the rise of the Ultra Humanite. Uh, what was the thought process behind that? I think the idea is is simply this, and that is um, there are certain names in, I think, comics that are just so cool, you can't ignore them. And I have always loved the name the Ultra Humanite. I mean, I just, uh, I remember saying at one point, Somewhere there's an alternate universe where the ultra-humanite really does run the entire world. And uh, I flirted around with it being like almost um, an AI that would be in charge of an entire world or something like that. And as much as anything, I liked the name and wanted to do something that would set us up for any stories that could be told down the road. Okay. 
Well, speaking of a story is being told down the road, and again, you don't have to spoil anything. And we know that you know it, there is a possibility for these characters coming back. But with the attention that some of these characters got in Convergence, and as well as them showing up in the Grant Morrison's multiversity, at least in the multiversity handbook, do you think the characters of Earth Nine have a possibility of interacting in this sort of DC new you? Yeah, I think so. At some point, um, I think. As much as anything right now, what you really have is uh, DC trying to, you know, solidify the characters that they have and, and continue to present them. Um, and, and I think once you get them really firmed up, then you have this idea that there are different worlds where things like that might become possible. It's kind of odd, though, when, um, you know, when they relaunched Green Lantern and I saw Hal Jordan in the hood and the cloak, I thought... <laughs> Hmm. Looks kind of like the Tangent Greenlander. Hmm. And, and I don't mean that in a literal sense. I was just, you know, reminiscent of it to a certain degree. Yeah, I would be, with the entire idea of Convergence ending and the idea that the crisis has now happened again, and one of the things I was really impressed with was the Convergence Flash book, where it was Flash versus the Tangent Superman, and the Tangent Superman realizing how important that Barry Allen was to the idea of the multiverse, that that they were recreating the multiverse and basically giving DC story writers the ability to write stories that are still DC stories and deal with DC characters, but could be on separate continuities. Like, I'm not certain how Batmite fits into specific DC continuities, but I really don't mind because it's Batmite and it's fun and it's just an enjoyable read. The same thing could be said, Michael's reading uh, the Bizarro book Mm -hmm. and that's just enjoyable books. I think that's one of the things that readers are looking for nowadays is they're looking for more enjoyable books that don't necessarily have to be constrained by continuity so much. And I'm, I'm really appreciative that you're writing stuff like this right now. Well, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way because I, actually think that's very important. I know that uh, as I've done a couple of convention appearances and people have asked me, where does Batmite fit into continuity? My response has always been, if you are asking that question, you are not appreciating the book for what it is because that is the last question Mm -hmm. (laughs) to come up in. And I, I think, you know, we used to have that, that, I think sense of awareness and fun in comics, and we kind of lost it. And I remember um, when I was a kid reading a uh, World's Finest story that Bob Haney had written. Yay. We, you know, we found out that Thomas Wayne had a brother, or not Thomas Wayne, Bruce Wayne had a brother that was <laughs> essentially uh, had been locked up in an institution somewhere. And I was like, oh my God, that, you know, turns Batman continuity upside down, except that I was able to look at it and say, it's the world's finest story. It's a one shot. He's just trying to, you know, and it's Bob Haney. Well, and write about a particular point. And I didn't regard it as having to be real any more than I regarded his super sons as having to be real. And and I think we have to have room for things like that in comics every now and then. And you know, fifteen years ago, we would have slapped an Elseworlds label on it. And I don't think that's necessary either. I think um, something like that might or Bizarro, they exist in and of themselves and are a good read and able to be appreciated that way. 
you know, I don't think finer words were said. I would, I, I completely agree with that. And yeah, do you, do you have although, more? Although uh, Heath Corson and I have joked and said we really have to do like a world's worst team up or special or something like that here soon. I would read oh, that. Yeah, get the, <laughs> get the Inferior Five coming back or something. Well, the Inferior Five show up in Batmite Number Five. Oh my lord! And and <laughs> I, you know, that. really the gist of it is. Um, Batmite always gives various heroes their improvements and he doesn't improve them. The problem is he makes them worse. He actually <laughs> makes the Inferior 5 better. Even that. <laughs> oh, I'm so looking forward to that. Oh, uh, I, I don't have any more questions. Do you have any that you want to finish up with, Michael? No, I don't. Just maybe, Dan, do you have any more memories of, of the tangent stuff or recollections that you'd like to share with us? Or I, I think the... Um, the big one is, and, and I kind of alluded to this earlier. It's just that, you know, when you start out on something like that, it really does start out with a writer sitting there and, you know, many writers do this. We build notebooks and it just, it starts out as ideas and glimpses and you end up crossing out a lot of stuff that doesn't work. And gee, how do you do Ragman without it being composed of rags? And there's no really way, good way to do it. So you just say, forget it. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, and you you start out with those general ideas, and yeah, ten months later, you get a fully realized line of comics out of it. It is kind of a cool thing, and I think if you go back to it and look at it, and uh, some of the work that went into it was really incredible, and some great art. Whether it was you know uh, Sean Chen on Doom Patrol or uh, Tom Grummond on Secret Six mm-hmm. and Gary Frank on Flash, I mean stuff like that. I think it still holds up really well today. Oh, definitely. Well, um, before we go, we would like to make sure that you get a chance to promote the stuff that you're doing right now. We've already talked about the Batmite and Superman. Do you have anything else coming uh, up uh, for DC or for any of the other comic companies that you'd like uh, to talk about? No, right now I am um, I am just with DC, and that's fine by me. We, we have a great relationship, and it's, uh, as you said, Batmite. Batman Beyond, which is the story of um, Tim Drake becoming Batman 35 years from now in a very different kind of future where we meld together sort of like the classic Batman Beyond animated future along with what is generally acknowledged as the DC's great disaster timeline into one cohesive future for DC. And then coming in October, Superman, Lois and Clark, which features the Superman and Lois Lane that we saw in Convergence in the DC universe uh, and find out they have actually been here for a good long time. So uh, lots of stuff. Now, is that uh, Superman and uh, the Lois and Clark one, is that going to be an ongoing or is that going to be sort of like the uh, Batmite and be a, what is that, a six or 12 issue series? Uh, Batmite is a six issue mini. No, Lois and Clark is ongoing. Oh, great. Yeah. And and I think, uh, you know, Lee Weeks is drawing the book. He's doing some absolutely stunning stuff. And as I said, that's coming in October. Looking forward to that. Well, uh, Dan, thank you for coming on yes, the show. We really appreciate it. This has been an enlightening interview, and you know, uh, we look forward to all the work that you're going to be doing for DC, and we appreciate all the work that you've done for it. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. And I, I know we had a couple of delays getting here, so thanks for your patience. I'm glad we got it to all work out. I, uh, it, there was no problem with having delay. Getting to talk to you was an absolute joy. Great. Thank you. Well, I guess that does it for this episode. Michael, thanks for showing up. I mean, well, you kind of had to because this is our show. 
And thank you, Dan, for coming on. Uh, we will catch you on the next time on another episode of Parallel Lines, uh, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Until then, everyone, have a good week. Bye. listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Ingle. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. It also can be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review maybe even a five-star one. Every review helps more people find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about the books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Send us an email at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your comments on the show. When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. And Sean hosts a number of podcasts, including Just One of the Guys, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Listen to the Prophets, and Who True Freaks. And all of these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com. Speaking of two true freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the Amazon link at twotruefreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names.